So yeah, so this talks about pornography. Um, you know, in particular, we're going to talk about it from the standpoint of protecting our children. Uh, but you know, we we know that this is it's very it's an, it's incredibly enticing for every man, and so uh, so there are obviously going to be applications for all of us individually. Uh, but you know, there's this there's a website where it's called the New Drug, and it's about pornography, and it talks about um, it talks about uh, pornography in terms of as if it were like a narcotic drug, as if it were heroin, because it has a very similar kind of physiological um, nature to it. Uh, they, they say that um, they say that uh, pornography combined with masturbation is uh, creates a similar biochemical reaction as as using cocaine or heroin. Um, that is how powerful it is. And so, and they also talk too about uh, you know. If, if a, a person starts to use drugs or starts to consume alcohol in their teenage years before their brain is developed, uh, you know, their likelihood of becoming a, a, you know, an alcoholic or a drug addict is substantially higher. In fact, if a person waits until they're 21 to consume alcohol, uh, they are, as compared to a person who starts drinking when they're 16, the person who starts drinking when they're 16 is 1,000% more likely to be an alcoholic than the person who waits until they're 21 to drink. And a lot of that is because of brain development. Um, when a person starts to use drugs or drink alcohol when they're 14, 15, 16, their, their brain starts to interpret it as an essential need. And so in the way that you hunger for water, oxygen, food, and you say these are you know, essential base needs, well, your brain starts to think of alcohol or drugs in that way. Well, the same thing is true with pornography. Um, early exposure to pornography, um, it, uh, what will happen is for a young person, their, uh, their brain will start to uh, interpret sex, uh, sex in general, as an essential survival need. And so when they experience stress or loneliness or disappointment, depression, uh, their brain, uh, they're, they're very much at a physiological disadvantage um, because their brain will say there's an essential need, it's sex, go get it. And so um, that, that's what you mean by sex. There, it's not just it's not just it, it's not just intercourse. It's you know it's sexual fantasy, it's masturbation, it's pornography, whatever it may whatever. Right. Sure. Totally, totally, totally. So anyhow, so with all that being said, uh, you know, I've talked to my wife about this. About you know, am I more concerned about my child drinking and using drugs or using pornography? Um, uh, or am I equally concerned? Um, because you think about, uh, God, you think about some of the, just you know, the dangers, the consequences of people who, particularly who, who struggle with pornography addiction. Um, that you know, one of the statistics is they're finding that, um, you know, the majority of divorces these days involve, more than half involve an affair that originated online or uh, obsessive or excessive pornography use. Uh, and that's particularly true of divorces of couples that are under the age of 40. It's, it's definitely the majority that, uh, that's involved. So anyhow, so that's why I'm using this terminology, the new drug, because it really does take on a similar kind of complex to, to drug and alcohol use. Um, you know, I think the thing here is, the thing I'm going to emphasize, we can go in a lot of different directions with this talk. And what I'm going to emphasize is um, pornography and its, uh, its role in relationships. Um, how, it, uh, how it kind of negatively affects a child's view of relationships, um, and, uh, and also, too, how uh, a child understanding uh, how to engage in healthy, intimate relationships, um, how that is, is really a, um, probably our best step forward, uh, our best step forward in trying to guide a child. I'm going to talk about this more from the standpoint of boys than girls. Um, I think that's, that can be a bad idea because, um, you know, like 25% of, of teenage girls access pornography on a monthly basis. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and so we're, one thing we're really careful about is to not, um, I can remember coming up how, uh, you know, college and youth pastors would talk about these sexual issues like masturbation and pornography as, um, as like a boy, an exclusive boy problem. And so girls in the room who were struggling with it were just shamed that much more, as if like I'm the only girl who struggles with this. This is not something that a girl should ever mess, you know, have trouble with. Um, but 
I'll just be honest. I uh, it's a, it is a it is an issue with girls when we talk about kind of how to protect our kids. That'll be very that'll be relevant um, for girls. But I just like I personally have talked to a lot of lots of girl youth ministers and, and, and female counselors. I just don't quite understand the dynamics of girls and pornography in the way that I do with guys and pornography. So I'm going to speak speak about it more from a boys standpoint. Um, although it, it you know this will have hopefully some universal application. The text I'm going to, I usually will have like a whole text. I, this, I just really, there's one verse I really want to focus on today, um, and that is the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Um, we're going to look at how it is the incarnation of Christ, uh, how it informs us about healthy relationship, and, uh, and how it completely contradicts and counters against pornography. Um, and so we'll, we'll develop that a little more later. But some statistics about young people and pornography. Um, you know, uh, one study uh, one study found that 32% of, of teenage students intentionally sought out nude images, but only 12% of their parents in the same study were aware. So most parents are not particularly attuned to this issue. They're more attuned to it today than they were, say, five or ten years ago. But here's something that's, that uh, most of the people in this room will be able to identify is, you know, so if you finish college in particular or high school around like 1997 and 1998, when you were a young person to get your hands on pornography, like you had to, you know, have a have a misguided older brother go buy you, you know, a Playboy or whatever at the gas station, or you had to have parents who were incredibly naive and unwise and who had the full premium movie package, who had Cinemax and HBO and Showtime. And they didn't know that, like you know, while while they're you know while uh, they were asleep, their teenage boy was like turning on Skinamax. You know, it, it, your access to it was um, was more limited. Well, with the internet, uh, you know, it was just like it was just like a free for all. It, it would be like if you were in, in an area that struggled that where there's a you know rampant drug addiction, just like throwing throwing heroin and coke and marijuana, just like piles of it out in the streets for like free consumption um, because pornography became just very, very uh, accessible through the internet. And, <coughs> and so, um, you know, something interesting, someone I was telling a friend about this talk yesterday, and he said, well, you know, all you need to, the, the, what paints the picture of that most clearly is the decline of Playboy. He said Playboy's subscriptions have declined from 5 million to 800,000, such that they're getting rid of, uh, of nude images and it's, they're going to have to completely rebrand because pornography is so free and accessible that why would, anyone, why would anyone pay for a Playboy to come to their house? Why would anyone go through the, you know, the embarrassment of you know, someone maybe finding something in the mail when they can just go online and get it, you know, more in a more kind of clandestine manner and more easily. So, with that being said, um, it's just so the, the, this issue is so big now because it's just so accessible. I mean, you can a kid who's walking around with an iPhone and no filter, no parental restrictions, they're walking around with, you know, all the all the like pornographic movies, all the you know the Playboys, the Penthouse of the Hustlers they could ever want is in their pocket all the time. Because they can just pull it out and dial it up and you know find whatever they want. So, um, so anyhow, going along in a Canadian study, 13 to 14 year old boys, 35% of boys of the boys in the study admitted to viewing pornography more times than they could count. Um, you know, they, they're just boys are uh, boys and girls are being exposed to it earlier and earlier. Um, some of it accidentally, some of it on purpose. Uh, 71% of teenagers admitted to hiding their browser history from their parents in some way or another, um, erasing their history, doing whatever it is. That, that suggests they're looking at things they shouldn't. 70% of kids said they had accidentally accessed pornography. So even though when they weren't looking, they had accidentally stumbled upon it. Uh, so that's really kind of a, a note in terms of uh, having you know, protections on your computer. And then 68% of divorces uh, involved, this is from the... American Association of Divorce Lawyers, whatever their trade group is called. 68% of divorces in 2015 involved an affair that originated online and 56% involved obsessive pornography use. 
So, you know, that's just, it's just, none of us want our kids to get divorced. We all want them to have, like, fruitful, healthy marriages. And uh, you see that pornography is one of the biggest risks um, related to it. So I'm going to talk about this in terms of offense and defense. Um, you know, uh, when I talk about defense, I'm talking about ways you kind of prevent your child from having access to pornographic material. Um, and then <coughs> offense, um, you know, that's not enough. Like, it's not enough just to play good defense. We can't, we can't do Gene Stallings 1990s mode <laughs> or Pat Dye, Pat Dye, you know, late 80s, early 90s, where basically we're going to play good defense, we're going to be really conservative on offense, and our defense is going to win the game for us. We don't have to, we don't have to you know, uh, we don't have to, to, to have a high-powered offense. Like Bob Stoops kind of changed the game on that in college football. In the, in the you know, late 90s and early 2000s where they had a great defense, he was a defense guy, but he brought in um, oh, Leach, um, Mike Leach, who was you know, throwing it all over the place. So he was trying to put up, you know, hang 60 on people and shut them out at the same time. And this kind of stuff, we have to play both offense and defense. Um, and I'll talk about offense. I'm talking about like how we, how we uh, you know, talk to kids about this, how we talk about um, you know, sex in positive terms, how we um, talk about the, you know, the, the negatives of what pornography is telling you about women and about relationships, and, and, and what, what, is, you know, what is actually what God has to say to us about intimate relationships. And like, with that being said, I think one of the key things to understand is, you know, I'm going to talk about pornography addiction just a little bit, because I think it helps. It, it tells us a lot about kind of the foundations um, of what's behind pornography use. But it's all about intimacy. It's all about intimacy. That's, that's, what, um, that's what people are primarily seeking out when they're looking at pornography, a deep sense of connectedness. And so that's kind of one of the, um, it's not about sex. It's not about physical need. Uh, and, 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 you know, one thing that validates that is, um, so, you know, I like kind of went through high school and college and like conservative Christian culture where um, most of my friends weren't having premarital sex, uh, which is pretty rare. I think that's very rare these days. But, um, yeah, I would say like, Half of the guys in my wedding had not had sex before marriage. And so in those kind of circles, what you'd find is people had this expectation of, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm looking at pornography or I'm struggling with masturbation before marriage. But when I get married and I'm having sex, it's going to go away. And then they get married and they're having you know, plenty of sex and it's not going away. The problem is still there. And it's because it's not about, it's not, a, it's not primarily, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, Gil, but it's not primarily a physically driven issue, it's more primarily a, uh, an attachment or connectedness or intimacy issue. So that's one of the key things to understand is that's what's being sought out primarily. Um, so, uh, so pornography addiction, I think this is a really helpful term. Uh, an addiction is a patho- pathological relationship with a mood-altering experience. Pathological relationship with a mood-altering experience. So uh, with that being said, you know, pornography is a mood-altering experience. Uh, it makes someone kind of, uh, it, it's almost like a drug. It makes someone feel more at ease. It makes them kind of have a sense of escape. And it's, uh, you know, and it's a way to kind of um, escape from loneliness, stress, uh, and depression. And you know, some of the indicators of, uh, childhood indicators of sexual, addi- of someone who's a sex addict. And I, we have to be really careful here because there's no like formula. Like if this and this and this is the case, then the child's going to be a sex addict. And you have kids who are in, uh, I, I see this all the time, who are in healthy, uh, you know, non-dysfunctional households, and they're you know, and they have major struggles with pornography. But <clears throat> some of the indicators are, and, and this is going to be helpful because you get you, you start to see some messages that kids learn and internalize. That, that lead them to, to be more susceptible to struggling with pornography. One is um, their parents never talked about sex. Another indicator is parents never showed affection towards one another. Um, a, a third one, uh, they heard negative messages about sex from church and home. Uh, and that same vein, the last one there, it says they were shamed if they made sexual mistakes. What I mean by that is, like, let's say that uh, a parent uh, found uh, the, found a Playboy underneath, uh, you know, underneath the bed. 
the reaction wasn't like, hey, let's talk about this and whatever. The reaction was, how could you ever do something like this? You know, you are terrible. You are terrible. That is wicked. Da da da. That's what I mean by that. Like if they, um, you know, if if they messed up sexually, the parents, you know, really came down on them really hard and shamed them instead of trying to, you know, show some grace and kind of talk through it. And it could be the child's perception. True. Which just keeps you from being an, an approachable parent, an approachable, askable parent. Those are two phrases that often go with this. Be approachable, be askable. If, if, if you're not, it may not be something that we did, but the child interprets that as shame. Right. I'm not good enough. This is bad. Dad won't like me. Um, he's going to be disappointed. Whatever it is, and it may not be, oftentimes it's not based in reality, but that's where they are. Um, it could be because you're such a functional family, and they feel like they're so far outside because they're so involved at the advent, and they do such a good job at small groups. I'm mean, really embarrassed, or whatever it is. So it may not even be something that we do that creates this shame. Mm-hmm. It may be just that they are saying, I can't go. And so it's really one of the offenses be approachable, be askable, take the initiative, say, How's it going? That kind of thing. Jim? How important is it for men to hug their sons, regardless of age? It's too foreign, probably. Um, is that what you said? How foreign? No. How important? How important is it? Okay. Uh, important. You're going to want to follow your son's lead on that. Um, but I would say physical touch, especially male to male physical touch can be massively important. Non-sexual, male-to-male physical touch can be a very important factor in uh, in addressing this whole constellation of stuff that Cameron is laying out so well uh, as a way to uh, release the secrecy, release the shame, lower the anxiety, have a way to have the mood altered. All that means is I feel better. I feel more at peace, less anxious, more at ease. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I'm not wondering what Dad thinks, et cetera, and so forth. And it doesn't have to be a hug. It could just be you know, touch on the shoulder. You know, it can be that sort of thing. Like, son, that was awesome. You know, you just kind of come up and do this. That may be most appropriate for a 16-year-old boy. But just to break somewhere that that two-foot barrier and come into his face at an appropriate way, not too much. I think that could be very, very helpful. It's a great mm-hmm. question. It's a really good question. I just, it's very practical. I think affection in a household, and I'll talk about this in a second, is just always a good thing. Um, because it's sending a message that uh, affection is not something we have to do in the dark. It's not something that has to be hidden. And so I am... Pro- Positive message about yeah. physical touch, which then gets transferred to sex when they're married. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I'm, I'm probably... I'm intentional about like hugging my wife and kissing my wife in front of my kids for that reason, because um, I've read all these books today. <laughs> um, and hey, and this is a way to get more action from your. No, just kidding. No, uh, sorry. This is being recorded, so I'm gonna cut that out. Just kidding. I would never say that. But wives, you you know, good idea. Hug and kiss your husband. It's for the kids, right? Um, so, uh, what else? Um, another another indicator. Um, the kids felt unable to express problems or anxieties. Uh, they didn't feel like they were allowed to, to voice that in their house. And they grew up in an, an abusive environment or uh, experienced a trauma in their household where there was no processing afterwards. So uh, you see, it's interesting, a lot of, um, one of these books I read, a lot of the case studies, they said that there, there was something happened, like someone died um, and they never talked about it ever again. And that tends to be kind of a, a trend. And so basically, the lessons that are learned, kind of these themes you see from the indicators are uh, what kids are taught is that sex is bad and shameful, and it's something that I must hide. Amazing statistic. Uh, all right, so you know, in terms of um, people who look at pornography once a month, you have the general population, and then you have people who attend church you know, uh, regularly, uh, who identify that they attend church regularly, they're, they look at pornography about 20% less than the general population. But people who have said that they attend church regularly and they go to a fundamentalist church, which is fire and brimstone driven by guilt and fear, are 30% more likely than the general population to look at pornography on a monthly basis. So you can see when... What's that? Utah. 
the state of Utah is one of the highest has one of the highest rates of pornography viewing in the whole um, the whole country. The South, the Bible Belt, several of them, Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama's not in it. I'm not saying anything about Alabama. It just didn't make the top ten. But of the top yeah. ten, several <laughs> the, uh, the state. That's right. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting. It is. Yeah, and judgment and evaluation, right, which right. reinforces this secrecy. I can't talk about it, and it's then a self-fulfilling behavior because you need to alter that mood. Where do you go? You go to the place where you feel good, at least for ten minutes. That's watching pornography, and usually that means masturbation for a teenage boy or men. Um, Jim, let's change the subject just a little bit. But the, the women, I mean. About screen time, the women of the some men last night for dinner. One subject came up was mom, the wife bringing this to the bedroom, and you know, you're in bed, and your wife's doing this at 11 o'clock at night, and you're like, No, is it, I mean, sure, that's got to be part of connected to the problem with all the women being involved with computers just non stop. Yeah, screens, maybe we can do this in the QA at the end, but just our interaction with screens. A second world, and we'll get to that in a minute really well, where the other world, our world online increasingly, is is much preferred in so many different ways. Um, whether it's affirmation, I'm more in control, I'm in charge, I get to decide what experiences I want to have and what I don't. And this world pales in comparison. It's slow, I'm not in control, things happen to me that I wish it didn't. This could be pornography, this could be Instagram, Facebook, uh, SI.com, Tighter Inside. It could be a lot of different things up there, which is more of our real world than this one down here. So screens, is a, that's a big deal, men and women mm-hmm. across the board. Um, you can call that intimacy. Intimacy is knowing and being known. I feel like I'm more known there in a way that I want to be known mm-hmm. than I am down here. Um, and whatever... That can go in a hundred different ways. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be about sex, but sex slides in here really conveniently. Mm-hmm. Sure. I can say I'll send you the whole. Yeah, I can send the PowerPoint. Sure. Um. All right. So uh, lessons learned. So the first one was sex is bad and shameful. I must hide it. I think there's one thing that we can just overall that you can do for your children that is good is to talk about sex in a positive light. I mean, the Bible talks about sex in a positive light. I mean, it talks about sex a lot. And it's a, something created by God. It's a gift from God. It, it you know, is meant to, to uh, kind of help us understand our union with Christ, our, our communion with God. And so um, talking about sex as a good thing is just going to do all kinds of things to help your child across the board, but in particular, you know, in their struggle with pornography. Uh, next, um, a next lesson that's kind of learned from porn addicts in these kind of environments is I don't have healthy ways to deal with sadness and anxiety. So um, a lot of, you know, a lot of what uh, people are trying to do when they access pornography is they're trying to process emotion. Uh, and so um, one one book talks about how one of the the best things that a person can do um, if they are tempted sexually is to talk about their emotions with somebody or to journal their emotions um, because what a lot of these a lot of what uh, kids in these environments learned ha- learned was there is nowhere they didn't learn how to process uh, anxiety process sadness process disappointment in a healthy way and so there, there just wasn't there wasn't a safe environment for that or they were shut down when they tried to and so they learned how to process and cope with these things through um, you know, through sexual, uh, sexually acting out. And so, uh, so a positive thing we can do is just like talking to our kids about feelings, you know, teaching them how to, how to process their feelings. Like, um, I mean, I, 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 a lot of times I kind of, <laughs> I'm, you know, talking to my three-year-old about, uh, talking to my three-year-old about, you know, how do you feel? And I, our, 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 my wife and I joke about how our children, um, Probably have a, have a, an interesting emotional vocabulary <laughs> because I'm always talking about feelings. But um, but uh, basically, 
a thing you can do with your child is help them process. Ask them how they feel about something, press them, help them verbalize it, because that teaches them a, a healthy way to cope with it instead of sexually acting out. And then a, a third lesson that was learned in these environments uh, is I can't find healthy means of affection. I must find them in hidden places. So mom and dad never touched. No one's, no one's you know, in an appropriate way touching me. Um, sex is bad. And so consequently, I can't, I, you know, there aren't, um, I can't find like legitimate healthy places for affection. So I'm going to seek them out, uh, you know, privately through masturbation or through pornography. So um, I think it is a good thing to like be affectionate with our kids and to be affectionate with our spouses if you're married. Um, do you have anything to add on to that? Okay, so here, this, here the, um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but the, the four uh, primary false beliefs of a, porn, of a sex addict in general uh, is I am basically a worthless person. No one would love me as I am, which tends to lead to a lot of performance addiction. You see, um, you see a lot of people who struggle with, this, with sexual addictions are um, high-performing people. Um, they're kind of a lot of they're kind of a lot of times trying to compensate with this sense of worthlessness and self-loathing, um, and so they're trying to make themselves lovable. Um, third, I cannot depend on anyone for nurture and security. It's a third false belief, and and then fourth, sex or porn is my most important need. So you can kind of see thinking about environments, um, thinking about kind of the false lessons. You can see how these are the belief, the false beliefs that are internalized. This is important to know because you know. Behavior comes out of the heart. You know, Jesus says that um, you know, malice and anger and sexual immorality uh, comes, it, it, it originates in the heart. That was one of, the, one of Christ's biggest messages because the, the Pharisees tried just to treat behavior. And so if we think about you know, our children's struggle with pornography purely at the behavior level and we say quit doing that or that's bad, don't do it, that's not really helping them because you're not addressing the problem. The problem is down at the heart level. And so I just think in general... Um, um, uh, I think in general, just affirming what this says to us, just affirming your child and, uh, you know, uh, encouraging them, showing, you know, showing them value, um, you know, assuring them of their, un- of the, that they're unconditionally loved by God primarily. I mean, I, just, I, I would probably would not say that you're unconditionally, I, I would not say to my children that you're unconditionally loved by me because I'm, such a sinner. It's not true. It's completely not true. And I don't want to set up a false expectation, but definitely inform them of their worth, um, of their their worth, their inherent worth, that they're made in the image of God. Affirm them uh, that they're unconditionally loved through Christ. Um, and affirm that they can always depend on the Lord um, for provision, for security, um, you know, and, and for, for nurture. Um, all right, so... And by the way, I would debunk this. I wrote an article. Um, I always feel awkward uh, endorsing articles that I wrote. But it's called, Hey Kids, You're Being Lied To About Sex. I wrote it on the Rooted blog. And, um, and basically, you know, the world teaches kids that sex is the ultimate. I mean, there's that, that song by, uh, what's that? that um, about to use a bad word. Don't use that word. Um, that guy, he wrote that song. Hozier, is that his name? Take Me to Church. Where he, you know, he compares, you know, going to his girlfriend's bedroom as, you know, the most like the ultimate form of worship, uh, worship in the bedroom, um, and just be, you know, I, when I on TV, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I was gonna say like, uh, the world does present sex like it's the greatest thing in the entire world, and it's really a nice thing, but it's. It's it's the world. It's very overrated as compared to how the world presents it. So just one other little thing here. I'm a little bit all over the place. Forgive me for that. We're trying our hardest to <laughs> to kind of keep this tight. But um, so here, you know, on the screen, I have this this diagram where up on the top you have the fantasy world, and down below you have the real world. And so this is just to kind of understand like kind of what is going on with pornography. When it, when someone, you know, whether they it's sexual fantasy, masturbation, pornography, whatever it is. It, when they engage in that, they're going into like a, a going into a fantasy world. They're entering into a world that is not real. And so down here on in the real world, you have you know let's say this is any 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 person, um, but we you know we can say that we'll say it's a teenage boy, and a teenage boy is I'm depressed, 
I'm lonely, I'm anxious. And let's be honest, I mean, being a teenager is a very isolating, um, very stressful, um, and if there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, sadness and disappointment when you're a teenager, um, especially today. I mean, there's a lot on kids. They're stressed out like crazy. They're very lonely because of this, all this technology stuff. And they're lonely because they're kids, and they just don't quite know how to do real relationship yet. They're just emotionally still developing. So uh, the emotional climate of a teenager is, is hard. It's very difficult. And so think about this. When a teenager goes to access pornography, uh, they're going into this place. You know, they're escaping into a world where there's a beautiful woman. And we'll speak from the standpoint of a, of a guy. There's a beautiful woman. She's willing to take off her clothes. Uh, in, that, in that world, the, you know, the, the, the teenage boy feels loved. He, uh, he feels in control. He gets what he wants. He, you know, picks out what he wants to see. Um, he uh, feels like the the woman in the image is really pleased, is attracted to him. Um, she's really really pleased. She's really excited. Um, and in the midst of it, you know, he feels good. It just he just feels good in those moments. Now, then the you know, as I say, the fantasy world kicks you out. <laughs> Can't live there forever. And they come back down to the real world. And in addition to I'm depressed, I'm lonely, I'm anxious, is I'm ashamed because pornography produces shame. There's no, there's hardly no one walks away from it feeling like fulfilled. Um, it, you know, just it's very it creates guilt and shame. And so, and so the you know which makes that temptation to go back up into the fantasy world even worse. But it's just helpful to understand. Um, <coughs> <coughs> It's helpful to understand um, what's kind of going on in terms of what's actually happening is an escape into a false world where the where false intimacy is is presented. They, they think it's real intimacy, but it's false. And so some of the false lessons that pornography teaches are um, sex is about me. It's about me and my needs and me getting what I want. Um, women or slash men are objects of, for my use. Uh, so, you know, just in terms of the way that, uh, you know, men and women who view pornography, it, it teaches them to regard people of opposite sex, or people in general, it just, it's, you know, as objects. They're not human beings. They're a commodity for my use. Um, it, it creates, uh, you know, very distorted, uh, very distorted views of, of sex. Um, for one, you know, sex is a wild orgy. Everyone has a wild orgasm every time they have sex. Um, demeaning women turns them on. And I say this because what you, you see a lot of, I've talked to a lot of youth ministers about this, or I should say college ministers, is young men are expecting women that they're having sex with to be doing what they're seeing in hardcore pornography. And it's, you know, and it's like, it's really, it's really twisted. But that's, it's very, it's very debased. Um, but that's 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 how their their view of sexuality has been formed by hardcore pornography, and so you know it kind of makes sense. Um, and then also too, this uh, it creates this very unrealistic expectation about women's bodies. Uh, but they, you know uh, whether they're looking at softcore pornography, whatever, uh, you know, everything is airbrushed. So they have this idea that it's realistic that a woman has this you know has a giant chest and has these skinny legs and it's just like and no hips or it's like not no that's a, a you know a graphic designer spent 12 hours making that picture look that way that's not real um, I hear a lot is real women are bad pornography think about that it's really sad real women are bad pornography because mm. there is no no image is the real image it's improved and it's created this distorted place, and so especially college guys, like yeah, when you, you know, real women, they're, they're just bad porn. It's just messed up. Very messed up. Just, that's, that's what you call disorder. It's out of order. Five, four, one, two, three. Instead of one, two, three, four, five. That's a disordered system. Real women, bad porn. The real world isn't isn't okay. But the word must make flesh in this world. And made his dwelling among us to redeem this world. That's a theological place. 
Hmm. You know, the Wall Street Journal always seems to have an article in there about, had one recently about uh, paid huggers. That's mm. right. That's right. Yep. And, and, and I think just the other day I saw a guy's got his head in the lap of some woman. She's a paid hugger. Yep. You know, he just kind of gets some affection. It's a bigger deal in um, oh yeah, like over in Korea. Yeah. 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 This, this is the business magazine. Yep. Yep. And yep. you find Japan with the robotics, where they can go to the islands and have sex with a robot, and, and you know, it's just, it's just amazing. That just does an awful every weeks it comes out somewhere in that category that's uh and just yelling at me that's yep. how i used to turn them lonely yep, yep. that's that right that's definitely the future of our children my 11 and 12 year olds um i mean robotics and all that stuff i mean you talk about phone sex and all now you they, they have them they're apparatus where she's in portland he's here it could be male male it could be anything you can have interactive sex with all the apparatus you want to put on, and it's, you know it's like why, why have actual relationships? Why actually get into bad porn? In other words, a real person and have to go through all the mess, the fuss, and that's how people think. Now. So it's 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 a changed world. It's different. Mm-hmm. That's why we talk about this. It's it's not the thing. Um, yeah. Human to human friendships, relationships, marriage. Uh, it's. It's a big deal. Um, so what, basically, what you start to see, what you see a lot of amongst twenty-somethings, and I don't know if, how many of you have read Richard Simmons' book about sex at first sight. Um, he writes about the hookup, modern hookup culture. Um, but you know, you see, it's pretty relatively normalized amongst people in their twenties that they just, you know, meet someone, have sex first night, and there's a there's a an app. Um, may not be helping anyone by mentioning it, but basically where, and this is normal 20-something behavior, where basically they get on the app and they say, you know, I'm looking to have sex with someone tonight. You're there at a bar. And then, you know, people in the same general vicinity of them, like, so I'm a, I'm a guy looking for a female, and then they will see all the women in that area who are also looking to have sex. They'll file through their profile to see the, the, the female's pictures, and if they see someone who's attractive, they say, you know, send them a request, like, hey, you want to meet up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all, you want to meet up? And they'll meet up and um, have sex. I know someone, someone was telling me uh, recently about someone they knew who was recently divorced, and they got this app, and like, they've had sex with like three different women in a, you know, in a week. And it's basically, you know, it's sex with abs- with completely disconnected from intimacy. And so that takes us to what, you know, the real key thing here which is the building blocks of intimacy. I think this is probably the most important thing you can communicate to your child. And honestly, it comes right out of the gospel. It comes, or it comes right out of the gospels. When we look at Jesus, I mean, Christ, Christ came to reconcile sinful people to a holy God. That's the, the bottom line of why Jesus came to the earth. That's the point. Of the, that's the whole story of the Bible. And, uh, and, you know, it's, and, and it's not just saving people from their sins. It's being, bringing people into communion with God. It's bringing people into union with Christ. So basically, the... Um, the gospel is the means by which um, people are saved, but the, the end product is deep intimacy and oneness with God. That is, that is kind of the intent of Christianity, is to bring people into intimate relationship with God, intimate relationship with people. That's why the, you know, God is a, th- is a trinity. Three persons, one God. Um, that is why uh, the overarching theme in salvation is union with Christ, is because that is, that is what God is trying to offer people, is intimacy deep connectedness with God and with other people through Christ. And so intimacy comes this way, and, we, and, and we, all we need to do is look at the incarnation of Jesus. It comes through honesty and vulnerability. Um, that's, the, that's, the, that's the first way that someone enters into intimate connection. Um, you know, you can't, no one, you never get close to anyone. Your best friends are the people who know everything about you. Your wife is the person who knows everything about you. Um, and and you're never, there's never going to be any intimate connection unless you, you're willing to open up about the good and the bad of your life. And so, you know, pornography, that's one of the appeals, is you don't have to be vulnerable at all. You don't have to put any, you don't have to, as I have down here, you don't have to make any kind of risk. No risk of rejection, um, but also no chance of real intimacy because there's not an opportunity for honest vulnerability. Um, a second part of building block, of the second building block of, of intimacy is long-term commitment. 
you know, there is nothing, there is no commitment involved in pornography. It is, you know, dial it up, see it, turn it off. Um, but we all know that, you know, good friendships, um, uh, you know, good dating relationships, good marriages, they come out of long-term commitment. Uh, if, if you've been a Christian for, you know, a long time, you know that you're, um, you know, hopefully, not always, but hopefully you feel a deep, deeper sense of connectedness to God over time because he knows you more and you know him more. And, uh, and, and that's, um, you know, and, and Christ's commitment to us is forever. Um, uh, uh, next, next um, building block, third building block of, of uh, intimacy is self-sacrifice. I mean, Christ comes into the world and he lays down his life for mankind. And, um, and so, you know, that is, there is no, there's no sacrifice in random hookups. There's no sacri- self-sacrifice in, in porn. Uh, and consequently, there's no real relationship. There's no intimacy that comes out of it. And, um, and I mean, and then finally, you know, foundation of friendship. <laughs> That's a part of intimacy. Um, you know, that, you know, pornography says like, I don't know a person and then instantly I'm having sex with them. You know, it's like, no, like, it, it, you know, a sense of closeness comes out of a, out of a foundation of friendship. And so, and a last thing, I didn't put this on there, but another uh, building block of intimacy is reality. You know, I mean, Jesus, when Christ enters into the world, um, he shows that he enters into the real world, to the act- to actual space, and so um, and so I just think it is really key for us to be training our kids on how it is you have a really really good relationships, how it is you enter into real intimacy um, through these through, through these building blocks, and um, yeah, because that's really attacking the heart of the matter when it comes to pornography, which is attachment and intimacy. All right, I have talked too long. I'm about to go over. I'm going to do the defense part real fast. Um, but basically, defense just means, you know, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 8. Well, first off, it says in James, resist the devil. But it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 8, flee sexual temptation. Um, there is a difference. It doesn't say resist sexual temptation. It says flee. It says physically remove yourself from the place of temptation. Excuse me. Um, and so that... Uh, that gives us permission to physically protect ourselves, protect ourselves, and protect kids from uh, opportunities to access this harmful material. Um, and so, you know, there is, there is, you know, we 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 do say in a lot of things like you can't protect your kid from everything. Your kid's going to have to go out into the real world, and so on and so forth. I would say when it comes to like pornography, um, you you want to you do want to protect them as long as possible. You do want to. You know, you don't want them to engage that um, any any too soon. And so, here are some some tips for good defense. Um, first is any any technological device that you have at your house, um, whether that is a laptop or an iPad or if your child has a phone, should have a monitoring device on it. All of them should have monitoring devices on them, um, so that whatever is being looked at, um, you have a record of. Uh, I recommend Covenant Eyes. It's cheap. Uh, you can buy, you know, pay a monthly ten dollars, and you can put it on multiple devices, and um, and it's called Covenant Eyes, uh, and it's just it's, it's just very effective. Um, most of my friends, we all have Covenant Eyes on our computers, just because we just need the accountability of making sure that we're not going places we shouldn't go um, on our computers or on our phones. And look, your your kid is can erase their history so easily. Um, it is uh, people are like, well, I check my, I check the computer history. It is so easy to erase it. So um, and, you know, just just the items they selectively that they want to. And so uh, don't you know, don't trust your your computer history. You should have a an actual monitoring device. And the monitoring device will send you a weekly report, and it'll kind of give you get, you know basically this is stuff that was highly immature. This is stuff that was mature. This was stuff that's teenage caliber. It, it's you know it's gonna. Um, it's going to pull up everything uh, and, and, and you know, make it easy for you to kind of monitor what your child's looking at. Um, second thing, if your child has a phone, um, if your child has a phone, then you should have the restrictions code uh, on the phone for security. So if you go to general, like the general section of the settings, you go into security, 
and um, and it has like restrictions code, you 100% should have that. Because what that does is if your child, and within that too, you, you want to prohibit your child from being able to download apps. Because so what your child can do is they can, um, they can download apps during the day um, or just, you know, for like 10 minutes. They can download an app that gives them access to porn or whatever, and then they can erase it. Um, and you, would, you don't know that that's going on. Um, it, your covenant eyes will help you with that. But it's just, in general, it's good for you to have that restrictions code. Um, I would also say, personal opinion, I don't recommend, especially teenage boys, that they have Safari, that they have an internet browser on their phone. I mean, if you have, if you have Covenant Eyes and you also put the phone on the tightest, like an iPhone in particular, it actually has a very, if you do like, you know, strictly no adult contact, the most strict of all the settings as far as uh, material they can access, it does a very good job of preventing them from accessing it. But I just don't think there's really any value, much value in a teenage boy having an internet browser on their phone for a lot of reasons. Um, one is, you know, just the, the possibility they can get around and see porn, but also, too, it's just a huge distraction for them when they're trying to study. The schools really, I mean, I have older kids, and I mean, you know, we talked about a few years ago, and they said, no, I can't. I'm blocked out of research for this and research. I mean, I'm just, I mean, that's about a week. We have followed. It's not easy. Yeah. It's really great. Really boom, boom, boom. And I, I'm just, I can't access anything because it just, you know. Yeah. Now we're in that frustration and then that anxiety and boom. So from Cameron, I would take the principle and I would totally back it up. It's it's at least worth holding intention. Delaying onset, which means, you know, sort of fighting this battle, if you want to call it that, <coughs> so that 16 becomes 18. You know, you kind of wait, you're, you're fighting the battle as long as you can, the longer you can delay onset, because the brain is developing, other things are happening, like life is happening, and they're learning how to deal with life, real life, on life's terms. It's worth the tension, it's worth the battle. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to myself, age of my girls. Uh, if you're hearing this, it's like, well, that's a great idea, it's too late, but it's a great idea, it would never work, You've got to be able to do this for school or whatever. That's it's frustrating to me that the, it's expected that they're able to get on the internet for schoolwork and that sort of stuff. Somewhere in there, you take what your reality is and what Cameron's laying out here. You say, okay, but it's worth holding intention at the very least and try to to delay onset as long as possible. Because in some ways, for most of us in this room, we're what are we working towards? We're working towards the time when we drive to Auburn, Tuscaloosa, Nashville, wherever we're going to drive and drop them off. When now it's like, this is it. This is it. You know, now all that we fought for for these past six, eight, twelve years, uh, you know, this this is when they have an opportunity to um, to fail um, and uh, and hopefully return, return to me, return to the Lord, return to real friends. To have an honest, open relationship with their God who came into the world to redeem them, to love them as a sinner, um, to have the word that was made flesh to dwell among them. So I'll quit preaching, but yeah. Cameron's right on. But you're right on too. So here's the two realities. Game on. Here's sure. Reality. Here's where it really is happening. I will say, if kids say they need their, they have to have their phone for academic purposes, they have to have internet on their phone, that's just not true. I've called the principals at Homewood and in the Mountain School Systems and they've said they have enough technology with filters um, that a kid does not need internet on their phone to study. They can, they have, they can, they have tablets and whatnot at the school. Yep. I guess I'm wondering, kind of like a, a fundamentalist church, hmm. you don't trust me, or you're telling me I can don't smoke, don't drink, don't have premarital sex. Must be that must be what I want to do or need to do because. These adults are telling me that I can't do it. Yeah, so one so, phrase that I was given I guess a I'm couple of years ago is... be a foundation mm -hmm. before all, yep. you know, as your you know, kids... Lay in as soon as we can old. to our children. Uh, what I don't trust is your nature and my nature. Yeah. What we call human nature. You're right, I don't trust that. I don't trust myself. Mm -hmm. I don't trust Dean Pearson's nature. He's a sinner. That's why he talks about it every single week. And, and it's very hard for a 14 year old to differentiate between me and my nature. It's hard for me to understand that. 
Uh, but to lay that in, it's like, that's right. It's not that I don't trust you. It's absolutely that I don't trust your nature. Hmm. We're just trying to find a way to to work through the fact of the matter that we all have a problem with being a human being in this world. Um, and to find some way to begin to gain some foothold in that ground. It's great. I mean, a lot of tension, a lot of battles, pulling back and forth. I think, too, if, like, if, if uh, you know, parents have protections for themselves, that, that is, that they can kind of, you know, demonstrate to the kids, then that is helpful. You know, you can say, I can say, look, I have covenant eyes on my phone. I'll, I'll tell, I told a group of boys this in the last couple of weeks about, if I'm ever staying in a hotel by myself, I'm always, have, you know, letting my friends, my, like, guys that I'm accountable to know that, you know, hey, I'm staying in a hotel tonight. I'm going to call you before I check in. I'm going to call you after I've disabled the, you know, SpectraVision uh, on the on the TV. Because, you know, what if you go, you stay at a hotel, you turn on the TV, the first thing is the pay-per-view, and it's like, you know, has adult adult movies as one of the options. And, like, you know, if you're alone on a trip in a hotel, it's just not something that, that's not a temptation you need in front of you. So I always kind of call, not call my friend. Like, I just checked in. I told the front desk to disable the, you know, the pay-per-view options. And um, I think if you can, like Gil said, I don't trust my own nature. If you can show that you need to flee sexual temptation, then, you know, you have skin in the game, too. And there's a humility there, I think, that's, you know, accessible. So I'm going to um, I'll say one final word. I'm going to pray. We can do Q&A because it's, it's about 8 o'clock, so I know people need to uh, make a living. So the uh, last thing I'm going to say is this kind of stuff is terrifying, especially, you know, especially if we have, like, preschool kind of age kids or elementary school age kids. You can walk out of here just completely crushed and overwhelmed. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, like, Christ, you know, Christ is king. Um, Christ has defeated evil on the cross, and evil's still out there. Um, but, you know, as parents, we just, we are, you know, we cannot be our kid's savior. We, we, want, we definitely want to try our hardest and do our best in all this. But at the end of the day, like, God is just, God is the hope of your child. God is, God is a far better parent than any of us. And he is a, and he is a more interested parent uh, in our own children than, than any of us. And so, you know, we, uh, you know, for, we just have to really, in our, in our inability to control these things, we just have to trust in the goodness and the sovereignty and the love of God, um, that God loves our kids more than we do. And so, um, yeah, and the God, you know, God redeems sinners. I mean, your child's a sinner. A very, you know, like me, a darkly depraved sinner. They're going to get into bad stuff. That is their nature. And our hope is, you know, we have to really just trust Christ to redeem them in that, in the same way that He's has and is redeeming us. And so, so you know, I, we don't need to freak out. So let me pray for us. Let me do some Q&A if you want. Um, Jesus, thanks for, um, uh, thank you for coming to us and showing us, um, showing us real relationship and. Uh, bringing us into to intimacy and intimate you know connection with you and please help us give us wisdom on how to protect our kids and please help us to um, you know to to teach them and guide them as best we can about um, about uh, about what it means to be in, in you know deep connection with you and with other people and pray you'd bless our children and their relationships so they would develop deep friendships and um, that one day they would have uh, you know, great marriages, and that most of all, Lord, that they would have a, a great sense of, of connectedness to you. And so, trust you and ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.